Amen. God is so amazing. Sometimes you sing words to a song and all of a sudden you recognize what you've sung. And it's so important that we do, that we have a revelation that these are not words. This is truth for our lives. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, team. (laughs) You may be seated. And let's pray. Father God, I know that you want to say something tonight. And so I pray, Jesus, that you would take these words and that you would make them your own. And that, Father, we would not leave here the same as we walked in, but we would encounter your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we would be transformed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If only I had known. Have you ever said that? If only I had known. I mean, maybe it was as simple as 7-Eleven was giving away slushies for the day and you didn't know. Or it could have been that Krispy Kreme had free donuts and you were like, if only I had known. It could have been one of those really, really awkward and painful moments in our lives where, you know, perhaps somebody has lost somebody really, really close to you, them and you didn't know and you said something that was just painful you're like, if only I had known. Five words that show a lack of knowledge that leads to regret. It's my belief that these five words will be the saddest ever uttered in eternity. Because contained within these five words... Our victory is never won. Freedom never experienced. Life lost. Love never understood. Courage never enacted. Risks not taken. Dreams never realised. Prayers never prayed. Adventures never undertaken. Souls without salvation, nations in bondage and generations kept in darkness. If only I had known. It speaks of disciples who lived with average, standard, regular, normal, usual, typical, common Passable, adequate, all right, okay, tolerable, modest, middling, run-of-the-mill, everyday, conventional, unremarkable and undistinguished Christianity. If only I had known. Compare this with Paul's statement in Philippians chapter 3 verses 8 to 11. But more than that, I count Everything is lost compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequaled. For his sake I have lost everything, and I consider it all garbage that I might gain Christ and, be may, and may be found in him, believing and relying on him, not having any righteousness of my own derived from my obedience to the law and its rituals, 
but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And this, so that I may know him experientially, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. And in that same way, experience the power of his resurrection which overflows and is active in believers and that I may share in the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly to his likeness, even to his death, dying as he did. I don't think Paul asked the question, if only I had known or made that statement. Because when we say that of our Christian life, It speaks of people that never pursued after God and discovered the untold treasures and wonders and beauty and glory and power of their God and their King. It speaks of disciples who could contain God or define God through their own worldview or experience or through their social media or Google research. But you know... There's going to be more than disciples who stand before the throne of God and speak these words. If only I had known will be spoken by those who will stand before God and never had a chance to hear about Jesus. And they will speak these words because those who were supposed to passionately pursue him didn't. And because we chose to settle for average, self-focused Christianity rather than the king and his cause. Imagine for a moment the heart of God when you or I stand before him and speak out. If only I had known. How will he feel? Disappointed? Frustrated? Compassionate maybe? But imagine the heart of God when a child or a young person or an adult stands before him, having never heard the gospel or never been given the chance to respond to God's invitation to salvation or only ever been shown a limited or poor example of Christianity and they then utter these words, if only I had known Because we're called to reach the world for Christ. And if you and I were to stand before God tonight, how much of us would have a moment where we would go, if only I had known. If only I had known what you dying for me really meant. If only I had known your love more. If only I had known the power that I had access to. If only I had known, if I just prayed that prayer. If only I had known I had just spoken to that person. How many lives will be affected in eternity if we're to say, if only I had known. And tomorrow... If you and I were to stand before God, would our knowledge of him be the same as it is today? Or would it be deeper? Would it be filled with more wonder? 
Because Jesus said in John chapter 17 verse 3, and this is eternal life, to know, to perceive, to recognise, to become acquainted with and to understand you, the only true and real God, and likewise to know Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This eternal God life that we get to have begins at the moment we're born again. But for some, the end looks remarkably like the beginning. There's no further revelation of God or development of his character or understanding of his love or commitment to his commandments. For others, there's moments of understanding or revelation a bit like stop and start on the freeway, seemingly going nowhere fast. But for others, the pursuit of God brings heaven to earth and earth to heaven. The greatest men and women recorded in the Bible and since have had a personal commitment to pursue God. It resulted in lives changed, destinies realised, nations rescued, freedom found and the kingdom of God advancing on the earth. It enabled them to face giants, part seeds, lead nations, defeat enemies, move mountains, remain strong under persecution, raise leaders and change generations. And God is looking for people who will passionately, unashamedly pursue him and who will not settle for average, who will in turn reach nations and generations for whom the knowledge of God is greater than any that has gone before them and for whom the pursuit of God is a way of life that overflows into a salvation of millions. So I want to look at the life of two kings of Judah. Both of them loved God, but their lives have so much to teach us. The first is Hezekiah. He becomes king at 25 and he reigns 29 years in Judah. He becomes king after Israel is taken into exile and we read his story in 2 Kings chapters 18 through to 20. He loves God. And we see him in this moment where he pursues God. And he pursues God for his nation in chapter 19. And and we see him have this miraculous victory over Sennacherib and the Assyrian army. And then following this, Hezekiah becomes ill. And again, God miraculously intervenes in response to his prayer and prophesies through Isaiah that he's going to live another 15 years. But something changed. Something changed in in his heart, it seems. It It looks like passion waned over time and conformity and admiration of the culture of his day take precedence in his life. And so we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 12 to 19, and I'm reading from the message. And it says, Shortly after this, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, having heard the king was sick, sent a get well card and a gift to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was pleased and showed the messengers around the palace. 
silver, gold, spices, aromatic oils, his stockpile of weapons, a guided tour through all his prized possessions. There wasn't a thing in his palace or kingdom Hezekiah didn't show them. And then Isaiah, the prophet, showed up and and, and asked, and just what were these men doing here? Where did they come from and why? And Hezekiah said, they came from far away, from Babylon. And what did they see in your palace? Everything, Hezekiah said. There isn't anything I didn't show them. I gave them the grand tour. Then Isaiah spoke to Hezekiah. Listen to what God has to say about this. The day is coming where everything you own and everything your ancestors ancestors have passed down to you right down to the last cup and saucer will be cleaned out of here plundered and packed off to Babylon God's word worse yet your sons the progeny of sons you've begotten will end up as eunuch in the palace of the king of Babylon and Hezekiah says to Isaiah if God says it it must be good but he was thinking to himself it won't happen During my lifetime, I'll enjoy peace and security as long as I had lived. You know, this is what his life started at. In 2 Kings 19, Hezekiah took the letter from the envoy and read it and he went to the temple of God and he spread it out before God and Hezekiah prayed... Oh, how he prayed. God, God of Israel, seated in majesty on the cherubim throne, you are the one and only God, sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, maker of heaven, maker of earth. Open your ears, God, and listen. Open your eyes and look. Look at this letter Sennacherib has sent, a brazen insult to the living God. The facts are true, O God, that the kings of Assyria have laid waste to countries and kingdoms. Huge bonfires they have made of their gods. They're no God's hand made from wood and stone. But now, O God, our God, save us from raw Assyrian power. Make the kingdoms on earth know that you are God, the one and only God. That's how he started. But later he prayed, Remember, O God, who I am and what I've done. Once he declared who God was and sought his glory that his name might be known in all the earth. And then he declared who he was and sought his own comfort and his nation and the generations and God's kingdom would be lost. Positioned to be able to lead his family, his nation and influence the nations around him as both David and Solomon did in order to reveal the God of heaven. Hezekiah instead stepped back from the king and his cause for his own comfort. He had seen God move and reverse the destiny of his nation and his own life and yet despite what was prophesied about exile and devastation, Hezekiah's heart was not moved enough to seek God for change. And Manasseh, the most evil king to ever reign in Judah, would follow his father Hezekiah and his reign 
would unleash an irreversible, devastating judgment upon God's people in generations to come. I wonder if Hezekiah spoke these words. If only I had known. But then we see something entirely different just two chapters later. Josiah's story begins, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. It ends, never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. And there never has been a king like him since. Man, that's something to put on your gravestone, isn't it? Because between was a life spent pursuing the king and his cause. See, he became king as such a young child, but at 26, he sets about commissioning repair of the temple in Jerusalem. And in the process, the book of the law is found. And they, they bring it to Josiah and they start to read it to him and he is just undone. He's undone. He's never heard these words before. And he has this moment that transforms him from being a passive, average, good king to someone who is passionate and active and full of faith and pursuing the things of God. When he hears the words of the law, when he hears the word of God, he hears this and he says, he rips his robes in dismay and he calls for the priests and the sons, of the, all of the, the royal secretary, everybody. And he ordered them all, go and pray to God for me and for this people, for all Judah. Find out what we must do in response to what is written in this book that has just been found. God's anger must be burning furiously against us. Our ancestors haven't obeyed a thing written in this book, followed none of the instructions given to us. And you know, he sends them to pray and they go to the prophet and you know what? He gets the exact same response that Hezekiah gets. In 2 Kings 22, it says this. This is the response. And also tell the king of Judah, since he sent you to ask God for direction, tell him this, God's comment on what he read in the book. Because you took seriously the doom of judgment, I spoke against this place and people. And because you responded in humble repentance, tearing your robe in display and weeping before me, I'm taking you seriously. I'll take care of you. You'll have a quiet death and be buried in peace. You won't be around to see the doom that I'm going to bring upon this place. And they take this message back to Josiah. But his response is not the same as Hezekiah's. He sets out to tear down the altars and the the Baals and everything that would turn people away from God. He travels his nation that they might know the words written in the book of the law, that they might be turned back to God. He leaves his place of comfort despite the fact it was prophesied that he could just live in that place. And he renews the covenant between Judah and God. 
and he actively destroys anyone and everything set up to worship anything but God. He restores the Passover and travels his nation. I don't think Josiah ever had to say to God, if only I had known. And under his reign, nobody in Judah could say it either. So what do we learn from his life as we seek to live for our king and his cause? We learn, love God and love his house. Be willing to let the word correct your life. Maintain a heart of repentance and obedience towards the standards of God. Seek God's face, direction and agenda. Don't be satisfied with personal peace and comfort. Be openly accountable. Cleanse the temple. Cleanse the temple. Commit to personal purity and singularity of worship. Commit to God's ways. There is no substitute for personal obedience. Seek revelation. Commit to spiritual warfare and never put up today what is possible in the kingdom of God. Paul said, I don't want anyone to think more highly of me than what they can actually see in my life and message. We owe this scripture, we know this scripture, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 17. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? That's why the scripture exclaims, A sight to take your breath away. Grand possessions of people telling all the good things of God. But not everyone is ready for this, ready to see and hear and act. Isaiah asks what we all ask at one time or another. Does anyone care, God? Is anyone listening, believing a word of it? The point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. You know the Great Commission doesn't require rocket science it requires people people who both know and tell all the good things of God I want to know God I want to know him I want to know the width and length and depth and height of his love that passes knowledge that I might be filled with the fullness of God I want the eyes of my heart to be enlightened that I might know the hope of his calling and the incomparably great power he has in and for us who believe. I want to know him that I might make him known. I want my children and my grandchildren to know God, not know about him, not have an observation about God, not have a religion. I want them to know him deeply, personally, intimately. It's my desire that they might be filled with all he has for them and walk in the freedom he purchased for them. I want them to live from a place of victory and I want them to be filled with a passion to make the God they know known. 
I want generosity and courage to mark their lives, but I want it to mark mine first. I don't want to stand before my God and say, if only I had known. And I don't want any child or young person or adult whom I had the opportunity to influence to stand before God and say, if only I had known. Because my knowledge of him was limited or hidden or because I was unwilling to give. I want God to be uncontainable in me. I want the world to know him because my life was entirely about him and his cause. This verse has got to be the verse for all of us for this whole year. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7, but whatever former things were gained to me, these things once regarded as advancement in merit, I have come to consider loss absolutely worthless for the sake of Christ and the purpose which he has given my life, the king and his cause. My faith promise takes the gospel to the lives of those I might never reach. My prayer can cross borders and take down giants when it is impossible in the natural if I'll pray. But my feet, my hands and my heart can take Jesus to my home, a school, my family, my neighbours, my work. I can take Jesus to Penrith any day. And it's my prayer that as we go from here today, we will pursue our King and serve his cause. And that these words, if only I had known, would not be spoken by us or the world we had the chance to influence.